Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Um, Therefore, um, do any of you girls have a second name, Jane? Second name, Jane? No? Okay, great. I just thought I'd ask. They just walked in. You never know, right? Um, (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Say, covenants of promise. Okay, say it like you mean it. Covenants of promise. That's good. I'm a, I'm a Pentecostal. I like people talking back to me sometimes. Um, and you, were, you had no hope and were without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I love this particular text. It is incredibly rich, and I'm not going to be able to do it justice in the next 30 minutes that I have, but I sure am going to try. And I want to take you on a little journey about what God is doing with us as a community. I felt a little bit on edge yesterday as I was sitting up front and Jamie began to talk about the tabernacle of David. He began to talk about this being a place for the presence of God because I was like, he is stealing my notes. I want to preach on this very thing tomorrow. And, and I want to invite you a little bit. We've just had this conference called At Home um, and, and I'm so, I'm, I'm just real chuffed that we had like 60 plus people here uh, saying, this is our home. This is our community and we're coming, we're showing up. And uh, I, I just want to commend you as a community. But I want to give you the why. We're living in a day where church and the word of God is being entirely deconstructed. People are leaving. There is a mass exodus, according to George Barner and the Barner group, of young people leaving the church. I wish they could come to our church. Because apparently I'm like the second or third oldest in this community. Um, But we're living in a day where apparently young people are leaving church um, en masse, where where people are losing faith. COVID produced um, at a global scale many, many particular pastors who lost faith and deconstructed. 
as a result of the pain and the trauma of what was happening. But here we are in a building that doesn't look that spectacular, but it works for us. We're having a growing community. If you were here two years ago, we would be in a little room in the south end with about 12 people. <laughs> and God's growing us. We had people like Ash and Jeff leave sunny North California to move over here, give up jobs, cost money, buy homes, settle down. We've got people like James and Haisa who were our first founding members in this community and saying, hey, we're going to stick around for a little bit longer until the Adams has come and made a way possible for us to be in the city and connected us to the right people. We've got people who have moved from all over um, to be here. Uh, we've got um, we've got a volunteer group. I mean, after that announcement about going out for a gala dinner, I'm like, I will definitely sign up for volunteers. <laughs> what makes us different? What, why are people giving up well-paid jobs to move to one of the most expensive cities of the world and join a community called The Table? What is this about this community that is supposed to be significant along with many of the other beautiful communities in the city? Why is the church important? And I want to talk a little bit about the big why. I want to talk a little bit about what we're building because it's important that you understand what you're giving your life to in this next season because we're asking you for nothing less. Because the church has the high privilege of being the conduit of God's kingdom. In other words, the kingdom of God does not work without a community, without a people who have incarnated the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died, was raised again, ascended to heaven, is glorified and will come back. And until then, he is making all things new. We can go home right now. <laughs> because that's profound. But it requires a called out people, a community, God's highest vehicle of demonstrating this revival community, this community that brings dead things back to life again, this community that transforms cities, this community that overturned um, principalities and powers in Ephesus, in, in Macedonia, in Philippi, in Colossae, where suddenly it began to spread, began with some people in a room and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This community is a community that's so profound and so beautiful and so stunning that God sent his son to die for her. Yes. Do you know that God did not just die for your personal salvation? He did not just die for your get-out-of-hell card. He died for you to be joined to him in a community that transforms the world. And we're saying to you as a community of men and women, and if you're a guest, please forgive me. I'm talking to our family right now, but you're welcome to join us. We're saying we want everything for the kingdom. And what's incredible is the Apostle Paul is writing this and the Apostle Paul was once a hater of the church. Think about every person that you know who's, you've encountered who hates the church or the church. I mean, the, the city of Boston has an appalling history as church of what it's done, of the atrocities that it's done to little children. The church has traditionally been, we could go on with all the negative things, right, that the church has been. And the Apostle Paul 
was Saul at the time, and he hated the church. In fact, he hated so much that he killed people. He killed those who were following the way. And he has this moment with God. He's the one writing this book here called Ephesians. He has this moment where God knocks him off of his donkey through a lightning bolt from heaven. I love when people say, oh, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He'll never do anything we don't like. He'll never do anything uncomfortable. Have you read the Bible? <laughs> and so he's trotting along to go and kill someone. God knocks him off his horse. And Jesus appears to him in a vision and says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice he doesn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the people that are doing my work? Why are you, why are you going after my organization? He says, you are persecuting me. Because Jesus, in the profundity and beauty of who he is, joins himself to a motley group of crazy people who don't have their stuff together, who at times to the world seem like we're the worst group of people on the earth, and he says, I'm making you my bride. And when you touch my bride, you touch me. I remember talking to a friend who was going through a deconstruction phase, and he was just, the church doesn't know how to deal with racism. The church doesn't know how to deal with uh, gender inequality. The church doesn't know how to deal, and he was just given this list, she's so bad, and this leader is so bad. I always love it when people speak about the church in third person, as if you're not the church. <laughs> you know, the church really should feed the poor more. Um, hello, do you know who you are? And I remember the Lord saying to me at that moment, imagine somebody spoke about your wife like that. I tell you, if you said something negative about my beautiful bride, Katya, I would karate chop you. And I grew up in South Africa, <laughs> one of the most violent nations in the world. I could kill you easily. But I wouldn't because I love you and I've been redeemed. Um, but you get the point, right? We're so easy to speak glibly about and critique the church as if we're not the church. And Jesus says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want to tell you one of the greatest things that is going to change this world is a people who have seen the beauty and the splendor of a called out community discipling the nations of the world. With all of our mess, the thing I love about the community is one of our incredible values is openness. We want to be real. We want to be authentic. But we want to create a safe space, don't we? But we're not willing to create a safe space at the expense of you staying where you're at. And the thing about Jesus is he joins himself to his bride called the church. And the Bible uses this beautiful mystery a little bit later in Ephesians where it says that the job of the bridegroom is to wash the bride with the word of the Lord and to present her faultless. I want to tell you the good news is Jesus saved me in my mess, but he's not willing to leave me there. And he's doing the same with the church. And I love what happens in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul starts talking to this 
group of people who were not um, Jews, and they were not uh, as were part of the circumcision party. And he talks about those who are circumcised and those who are uncircumcised. And I need to contain myself because the last time I spoke about this, I made some very funny comments, and I need to be careful right now. <laughs> I'll just say this. The circumcision party were people who were the Jews who were marked by the covenant through physical circumcision. And the reason they were marked by that is because when God made covenant with Abraham, this uh, weird little Middle Easterner walking around aimlessly serving random gods, serving gods of sun, moon, earth, wherever, God appears to Abram at the time and then changes his name to Abraham and says, I am your exceeding great reward. And Abraham believed God, and the Bible then says that God cut covenant with Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, in you, the nations of the world will be blessed. Like, like, I just want you to think about the commission that God has called us to, to disciple the nations of the earth, that the original mandate that God gives Adam and Eve, that God gives Noah, that God gives Abraham, is that through his called out people, the whole world will be ecstatically happy. I can't wait for the day that government in Boston celebrates that the church showed up. Because they know when we show up, there's blessing that follows. And Abraham is choose, chosen to be a man who extends the blessing of Yahweh all across the earth. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to tell you, it must have been such a profound thing. Because actually, Abraham could not see God and he had to believe God. You see, everyone around him had made their little statues and their, their little gods, and, and you could add any god that you want, and here's this one true god saying, I am the true god. If you believe me, I will bless you. And the people of Israel were so convinced that they were the nation that God had chosen, and that because of that covenant-making moment of circumcision, that anyone who wasn't circumcised could not ever get in. Yet the very blessing that was on Abram was for the sake of everyone else. And then you have this uncircumcised uncircumcision party, who, who are the people who have no idea about Yahweh, the true God. These are the people who never encountered the God of heaven and earth. And suddenly in this community in Ephesus, both have got saved, and Paul is helping them understand that in Jesus, something profound and something so beautiful happened in that God took two opposing people groups and in his own body brought them together because Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise on heaven and in earth. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of Israel's longings. Jesus, the Bible says, is the desire of all the Gentile nations. God pulls them together in him and makes a new man out of them. And he calls that the church. Oh, man. He, 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 listen, even before the cross, I love this, even before the cross, in the midst of Jesus on his way to the passion, you see the prophetic picture already. When the leaders of uh, a Gentile nation, Pontius Pilate, and the 
religious leaders of Israel and the Pharisees and the high priests come together in their worldly wisdom, in their religious fervor to try and crucify the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus, already before the cross, is picturing what it would look like when those two come together and post the cross what was used to bring about the destruction, the so-called destruction of the Son of God. God redeems and makes something brand new. I, I want to tell you, there's something quite profound about that because we are living in a world right now where there is a polarization that is happening, whether you're either black or you're white, or you're either Democrat or you are Republican. Um, I don't know why I did it that way, but anyway. Um, and, and if you don't come together... In understanding what it means to be the people of God, we will live in this polarization. And even in the worst moment of polarization, I want to tell you, the cross is working something out. You see, we're all thinking that this polarization is going to be the end of us. I want to tell you, it's a moment for redemption. Right before the cross, this was happening, and right after the cross, Jesus goes, I'm going to pull it together. I want to tell you, the answer to the polarization in the world today, whether you are black or white, whether you are Republican or Democrat, Jew or Gentile, male or female, is not found in activism, although activism can be good. It's not found in philosophy, although philosophy, well, most of the time, it's not good. It's not found in your ability to simply do another truth and reconciliation moment. It is found in the one new man in Christ. It's why, if you take a look around right now, we've got different nations. We've got different colors in this room. Just, just have a quick look around at the many different people in this room. There is no other time On a Sunday, when it looks like the people of God coming together like this, where every tribe, every tongue, every nation is pulled together because God has made a new man. And you know the thing about a new man? Is that God is telling us, what time do I need to be done? Because I'm carrying on. Ten, ten minutes, okay. Okay, another hour. Um, Listen, here's the beautiful thing, dear friends. Here's the beautiful thing. God takes all of the rules and regulations that Israel have to obey. And he pulls it into himself in the person of Jesus. He takes the lawlessness and the crazy of Gentile nations. And he pulls it into the person of Jesus. And he creates this new man called the church. So we don't have to try and fulfill all of the rules that Abraham had to fulfill in order to get the covenant blessings. That we no longer live a lawless life, but we live connected to the true God, Jesus. So the blessings of our father Abraham, we get by way of being grafted in. Blessed to be a blessing to the nations. But not only that, God's not only made one new man. This verse tells us that he is making one new temple. You see, the whole point of us gathering on a Sunday, the whole point of us being the people of God, 
I want to say this very carefully. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And it does so in that context, particularly to do with our understanding of sexual sin. Every other time when it talks about a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's not about your individual ability to carry the presence of God. It is about the corporate presence of God. It's about the corporate people of God coming together as living stones, the Bible says, being fixed together with Christ, our cornerstone, built on the foundations of apostolic and prophetic ministry. That means the coming of the Spirit, that's what the apostles did. The prophetic means the witness of God's voice in the earth today, coming together. That's how we build the church. I want to tell you, if you think that church and Christianity is an individual religion that's just between me and God, you have missed the point of the gospel. That God's about building a new temple, and I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to just tell you a few things about the temple. The temple was meant to be a meeting place. It was meant to meet the place where heaven and earth meet. It is meant to be a place where, where God is fully demonstrated. That's what the early church believed. That's what Jews believed all the way through history. And temples were a place where God dwelt with his people. It was a place of extravagant worship. I just want to tell you, worship is not a personality style. I remember going to um, a meeting at Bethel once. I was at the BSSM school, which I love. And uh, I was up at the back, and I kind of sneaked in. No one really knew who I was. Kat and I just got married. And if you've seen me worship, you'll realize that I am tone deaf, and I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. I don't care whether you like it or not. I don't care whether you think my dance style, and I just want to say I can dance, um, is good or not. I'm just like this. Worship was never meant to be for an audience. It was meant to be for Jesus. And I was going crazy. And I love these little guys. They thought I was being a little bit too intense, as if you can be too intense in worship. Where's that in the Bible? <laughs> and so there I am going crazy. And this poor guy who clearly thought I might have some needs came up and prayed for me. And were like, Lord, Help, help this man know that he can just be a son. He can just relax. And I was like, buddy. <laughs> I could probably tell you what you were watching last night, but I'm not going to. I didn't say that to him, don't worry. But I just smiled. You see, we somehow have thought, we somehow have thought that worship is meant to be stylistic or according to my personality and preference. When the Bible says make a joyful noise, it's a command, not an optional extra or a serving suggestion. Anyway, the temple is a place of worship. And what God is wanting to build with us as a community is a house of worship for the nations. I'm looking forward to the moments, and we've had some moments of this, where, where different sounds come into our worship, where different dynamics come in because we're going to reflect the wonderful multicolored wisdom of heaven. Yeah. But more than that, it is the meeting place of God. I want to tell you, our church Sunday gatherings are not for guests. Yeah. 
although we're very sensitive to guests. Our church Sunday gathering is not for you to come and get a pick-me-up so you can face the week. Our church Sunday gatherings are not because you want to come and get your mind intellectually stimulated. And you might be thinking after the sermon, you're absolutely right. Um, It's not for that. It's because we come together as a temple, living stones, a new temple. That's for him. Because here's the thing about the temple. In every picture of the temple throughout scripture, one thing happens. Glory fills the temple. Glory fills the temple. I want you to flip over to Haggai very quickly. Glory fills the temple. Because the aim of the temple is not about what you gather to, but who you gather to. The aim of the temple is not about looking nice or being well put together. The aim of the temple is so that glory would fill it. The weight of God's goodness, the word is kabod or doxa. It is the weight and the intrinsic goodness of God being displayed and being revealed in such a glorious way that you cannot do anything. Listen to what Haggai is prophesying about this new temple in Haggai chapter 2 and verse 4. Notice that when Paul is talking about this temple in Jesus, it brings peace and it is filled with the Spirit. Listen to what this says, Haggai chapter 2. Yet now, verse 4, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. I just want to tell you, it, we have to work in church. For those of you who love a little bit of rest, you're like, oh, I'm just in a season of rest. Rest in scripture does not mean the season of work. It means trusting God that even when we don't work, he's still doing something. But when you put the emphasis in, the new t- in, in, in Christian circles, we put the emphasis on a lack of work. It is unbiblical. He who does not work does not eat, the Bible says. I will move on quickly. Verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when I came out of Egypt, my spirit, sorry, let me get, go from verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O, jo- jo- o Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I want to tell you we are coming into a season as a nation where there's going to be some shaking. And I want to prepare you. I would be a bad pastor if I did not prepare you. I'm not talking about doom and gloom. I'm talking about an opportunity for the people of God to be just that. Bearers of hope. In the midst of economic difficulty. In the midst of political disappointment. This whole left, right thing is going to blow up, dear brothers and sisters. And God will show himself to be strong. And the cross will gather left and right, black and white, in him as a new man. And a new temple. I will shake the heavens and I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. Yes, Lord, we'll take some of that. And I will fill this house with 
Glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts, and the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, shalom. All things will be as God intended it to be, declares the Lord of hosts. I want to tell you, if you do a study of temple history, there are moments where the glory of God so comes that people cannot work because a cloud shows up. There are moments in the presence and in the glory of God where the fear and the presence of God is so palpable that people are afraid to enter in. Such was the greatness of the revelation of God. Throughout history, there have been moments where God has filled his temple with incredible glory and power in, in just over, um, I think it's now about 70 or 80 years ago, in a rundown shed in California, in Los Angeles, on Bunny Bray Street, a outpouring of God uh, began called the Azusa Street, where the glory cloud of God would come in, the weight of his goodness, a physical manifestation, a cloud would come in, so that little kids, when they were playing in that meeting, could move the cloud as they played hide and seek, because such was the manifestation of God's glory. Every temple in Scripture is built according to particular dimensions, and it had to be beautiful because it had to reveal something of the nature of God's goodness. It had to be extravagant because it had to reveal something of the nature of God's goodness. In Haggai, they're talking about the glory of God here. And the people of God thought it was the second temple that will be built in Jerusalem, which was built in Jesus' day. Problem is, what they didn't have in that place was glory. Because the ark, the presence of God was not there. They had great structures. They just had no presence in glory. Dear brothers and sisters, we are not building a house of comfort. We are not building a temple that might look great externally. Please, Lord, I love aesthetics. We need a nice building. <laughs> we are not building a temple that is an echo chamber of culture. We are building a temple that will be fashioned for his glory and a revelation of his goodness so that through this one new man, the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why we do church. That's why I've given my life to the bride. Because she's utterly worth it. Because he, Jesus, saw something in called out communities and said, I will die for her. That's the joy that was set before him. Dear brothers and sisters, I've lived in through maybe three moves of God now. I remember as a kid, seeing the presence of God come in, people getting out of wheelchairs, thousands of people getting saved in the 80s healing revival. Remember in 1994 with what was called the Toronto Blessing, as the power of God began to move, people get filled with joy and begin to laugh and, and fall on the floor. Do you know that not since, um, I need to get my stats right, 
that the season of 1994 to 2000 released more missionaries to the earth directly connected to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto than at any other time in history. People say to me, oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's excessive, all this laughing stuff, all this charismatic stuff, we shouldn't be doing that. I want to tell you there were more missionaries that came out of that thing than at any other time. I want to tell you that the fastest growing church on the earth today is not nice predictable McDonald's drive-through communities where you go in and you know what you're going to get. It is being extended by the Pentecostal charismatics on the earth. That's the fastest growing church on the earth, both in the West and in the developing world nations. I want to tell you, when glory shows up, everything changes. I've been in meetings where I have literally physically seen a cloud of God come in where the weight of God's presence is so powerful that people begin to smell burning in the room and kids come out of the kids' work saying, is there a fire in the building? This, I've seen this, Catholic can witness to this. There are many people I've known who can witness to this. I was in a meeting in, in, in Northern Ireland where the glory of God came in as the temple began to gather together living stones. A drunk man walks in the back Death in his ear, and as the glory of God is increasing, me just speaking about somebody else who got healed of their death ear, he drops the loudest F bomb <laughs> in the glory and goes, My ear just opened up, sobers up instantaneously, and gets healed and saved. I just want to tell you, in a dodgy little well, it's not really dodgy. A average hotel, the Hilton Hotel. Just a few weeks ago, as the presence of God came in, a guest walked by, walked into the back of the meeting. I didn't know this. God speaks to him a prophetic word and he responds to the gospel. I want to tell you, we are building a temple for glory. For the weight of God's goodness. Hey, Cole, will not you come and play just for a moment? For the weight of God's goodness. For the tangible presence of God. You see, you see, different glory is not just intangible. It's measurable. You see the goodness of God on display. You see healings. You see the poor get healed. I, I have seen people come off heroin addiction just by being in the presence of God. We're not going for a comfortable church. We're not going for a in by nine, out by ten. We have two hymns, a poem, a great preaching, we all go home with the benediction. And we never ever live as if the benediction actually is an experience. When Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 2 what the church looks like, he says, it is the multifaceted wisdom of God the diagram of heaven is a phrase that displaces principalities and powers over regions. You see, the reason I know that we're in a moment of breakthrough is because often, not always, often the level of warfare you're facing is just about the level of breakthrough you're about to come into. And since we planted this church, the level of warfare that Kathy and I have faced 
has been insane. I mean, I, I can't make this stuff up. People dying, things going wrong, promises being fulfilled and then almost being ripped away. Because I've discovered, the Bible says in Ephesians, the battle that we fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the air. And I've discovered something. That in the midst of warfare, there's glory to experience. You see, there's many moments, Kat and I have walked through this even right now, where it feels like the defeat has been agonizing because we know there's something more. But the reason we did not give up, because trust me, we are not embossing for our health. <laughs> Certainly not embossing for our budget. <laughs> But we've seen something. Hesh and Jeff, they've seen something. Justin Carey, who moved here many years ago, they saw something of what God could do with a temple filled with glory. What God could do with a people filled with His presence. And that's why we're here. Because I want to tell you, the intellectual and academic halls of authority were never meant to given, be given over to humanistic and secular thought. It's meant to be shaped by the people of God. I'm going to do the most awkward altar call I've ever done. But I don't really care anymore. So the devil messed with my dad last night, so I'm just like, hmm. Well, you've got to kick where it hurts sometimes. You see, the, the thing about warfare is sometimes you think in the moment, oh, I need to back off. Or, or the enemy's trying to make me more afraid. And I don't want to pick a fight with the devil. I'm not devil focused. But I've learned something. That in the midst of warfare, when I lean into the truth of God's glory and purpose and power, there's a whole lot more breakthrough around the corner. And what I'm asking you today to whether you're part of this church or not, I'm asking you to give yourself to a local community that will build a house for His glory. Because the Bible says that Jesus came revealing the glory of the Father full of grace and full of truth. That there is something about a people so convinced of Jesus that they reflect His glory to a world who desperately needs the goodness of God on display. Whether you're part of this community or not, I'm asking you, if you're saying, God, I will give my life for your glory. All my life for your glory. All my life for, not my story, but your glory. The reason I can give it all is because I've seen him. This one that I love called Jesus. Not because of tradition, not because I've grown up in this Christian thing, but because he is real to me, more real to me than you sitting right now. Because like Catherine Kuhlman would say, I died many years ago. Died to myself. And I've been resurrected into glorious life. So if you want to give yourself for the thing that Jesus gave himself, 
called the church, his bride. A new man, a new temple, and a new glory. You see, Haggai prophesied something that the people of Israel thought was fulfilled through structure when Jesus was there. But Jesus, in John 7, says, this temple's coming down, and I'm building a new one. And the glory of the latter house will be far more spectacular, far more beautiful, far more extravagant than the glory of the former. In fact, it will pale into insignificance because we will behold him, the king of glory, with unveiled faces. If you say, Jesus, I want to give myself, I've given myself to you, but now I want to give myself to your church for the sake of glory. Won't you stand quickly? Won't you stand to your feet? I believe God will do a whole lot more outside the walls of a church. Trust me, I believe that. This is not just about what we come to, but it's about building a temple for His glory as a community. I want to invite you because it will cost you your life. It will cost you your money. In my case, it cost us our reputation. It cost us family. And I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. Trust me, that's not what I'm asking you. So I'll do it again and again and again and again and again for the one that I love. We've had a weekend conference called At Home, whether you were there or not. What we're building is a temple. One new man, every tribe, every tongue, black and white, Jew and Gentile. One new temple, living stones brought together by Jesus, Christ our cornerstone, and a new glory, one that's greater than the former. And Father, right now I invite you, let your glory fall in this room. Let your glory fall in this room. And God, I pray that it will go from here to nations. Let your presence arrest the hearts of people with a compelling vision. That like Paul said at the end of his life to King Agrippa, Oh, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision on the road to Damascus where I saw Jesus and he said, do not persecute me any longer. And everything changed in that moment. Would you fill this temple with your glory for the sake of Boston, for the sake of Massachusetts, for the sake of the Northeast, for the sake of America, for the sake of a nation, for the sake of the nation. Come Holy Spirit right now. Let your glory come. Let your glory come. Let your glory fall. Let your glory fill this room. Let it fill temples all across this room. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we invite you, Holy Spirit. Increase your presence. Increase your power right now. If you've been disappointed with the church, can I ask you to leave your offense? Can you lay it down? Can you build a bridge and get over it already? Because there's eternal consequence. When the people of God become a temple, become one new man, and reveal the glory of God to a city. People are getting touched by the Holy Spirit right now all over this room.
more right now. More right now. Increase your presence. Increase your power. Let your glory begin to fall right now. Some of you, God's presence is going to come like fire on you right now. Increase your fire. Akash, it's time to sing your own songs. Because the song that you are called to sing is glorious. And we'll release the glory of God. Namisa, write those jolly songs of glory. You've seen him. Now write about it. Fire right now. In Jesus' name. Some of you might not be used to people falling over in meetings. That's just the presence of God. That's the glory of God. The glory, word glory literally means weight. It means it's so heavy. It's why people couldn't stand sometimes in the temple. When Ezekiel saw the glory of God in the temple, he saw a river that would flow from the throne. And along the banks of that river, there would be trees that would grow with healings, with leaves that are for the healings of the nation. Release the river to flow right now. Father, as men and women say, Jesus, we're here for your bride. We will give ourselves for her. Warts and all. Brokenness and disunity and all. We will be a voice that says she is beautiful. She is glorious. That she looks like the one that she loves. Increase your presence. And God, we commit as the table to not be a house of comfort, to not be a house simply of great articulation, but to be a house of glory. God, we want to be those who worship you with our bodies, our minds, and everything that we have. But we say today that you no longer need to wait for us, but we will wait on you. That the goal of our lives is the glorification of your name through your people, that we'll serve you whether it be in this church or another community, we'll give ourselves to the beauty and the wonder of a redeemed temple, of a redeemed new man filled with glory. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.